What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 43. My name is Zach, and joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. Ben, how goes? Well, I'm excited to go back to school. He said still working in a school and also having graduated very recently and also, well, whatever. We're talking about Strixhaven this week, and I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, same. I'm not at all excited to go back to school. I'm very happy I'm not in school anymore and don't work in a school and have nothing to do with a school. But Strixhaven looks gas, and we're going to talk all about that in just a little bit. Before we do, of course, got to plug the Discord. That is the best place to go to communicate with us outside of the podcast. We've got a pretty sweet community over there talking all things Strixhaven lately, as well as some different uh, changes to standard and historic. We've, of course, got draft formats going on and all sorts of different cube nonsense. It's a great place to go to catch up with the rest of us and our aficionados. Yeah, and sometimes uh, I'll even be stalling from starting the podcast recording, and you'll catch me talking in the general chat. Yeah, that totally (laughs) didn't happen this week. (laughs) While Zach waits in the recording booth. (laughs) That said, we also have our sponsor to plug, and our sponsor is, well, you via our Patreon. That is the best place to go to support us directly, patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. It's the only way that we... We support the show at the moment, and so huge thanks to all of our patrons. And this week, we even have a new patron to shout out, Batwheels in the Discord. Thank you so much for your support. It really means the world to us, and we definitely can't thank you enough. Um, If you're on the fence about joining the Patreon, we have five different tiers over there, starting at $2 a month up to $10 a month. And, of course, you can give as much as you want in between or outside of those ranges. Um, We have things like stickers, some pretty cool die-cut stickers that, that I'm a big fan of access to the full show notes, even some custom deck building opportunities with us and access to like our unedited uncut versions of the show with kind of some pre and post show nonsense that we tend to uh, have going on banter between uh, before and after every episode. We also have a stretch goal at Patreon that is to hit uh, $50 a month. Once we do that, we're going to be uploading video versions of the show onto YouTube. So be sure to uh, head over there and check those out if that's something that you'd like to see coming in the future. If you're a patron, you can hear all the the cuts where Zach will pause and trash talk everyone in the Discord. Uh, the, we usually oh edit those gosh. out. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that you would even remotely insinuate that I would do something like that. <laughs> he's pretty good at editing them out. I think he's caught every single one. So. Dude, it's not even April Fool's. <laughs> okay, but, but uh, in all seriousness... Uh, Patreon actually helped us upgrade the server recently, which I thought was pretty sweet. We're going to start streaming and, and doing things with a little higher quality. It's going to help us start streaming more regularly uh, on our, our, our Twitches. I have to figure out how Twitch works and maybe start getting into some banners and hear those emotes, uh, that, that kind of thing. It helped us give away a copy of the cube, uh, which was received this week. Hulu, enjoy that. Uh, have fun drafting. And it's going to allow us to do something dare I say, truly fantastic for our one-year anniversary. Now, the, the details are still up in the air. We're not spoiling it yet, but if it works the way we're imagining, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, can't agree with you more on that one. So we're talking Strixhaven this week, but I wanted to just, you know, I wanted to get one last little look at Kaldheim because I was at Target over the past week, and I saw they had something called a set booster, and I realized as a quote-unquote content creator, we should probably know what set boosters are compared to draft boosters, compared to collector's boosters. And this is one that I never actually have opened before. I've never opened a set booster. So I figure we may as well crack this open and, and see what happens. All right. I'm, I'm in for it. I don't know if you're getting these uh, these pack cracking sounds, but this pack's not opening very well. Ah, there you go. Hear that? 
All right, I need to figure out which direction this pack opens. Uh, well, oh, the rare is. distribution's all weird, so it's probably not even going to matter. Yeah, I suppose it doesn't matter. I got a uh, a nice longboat. Uh, it's like an art card. It doesn't actually have any anything on it. But first up, we've got... I guess we can treat this like a, a, a normal pack, but I suppose that won't really work. I have a foil snow-covered swamp. Gotta say, it is gorgeous. Yeah, that's the pick so far. <laughs> yeah, can't argue with that. Next up, I've got a runed crown, not for anything. After that's a rune of flight, and then a rune of sustenance. Wow, I got a whole package in here. <laughs> After that, we got a batter shield warrior, getting, I guess, uh, right into some uncommons. Frenzied Raider is next, followed by Usher of the Fallen. If this were like a, an actual pack somehow, what, what would your pick be here so far? I actually like Usher a lot, and we talked last week about how I am a big fan of the white black decks, so. Maybe Usher. I mean, Snow Covered Swamp, though, isn't the end of the world. I don't know. Maybe the the runes. I think I'd just be on Usher. Yeah, I like Batter Shield Warrior a little bit, too. Usher, I feel it can snowball really well in the early game. Eh, snowball. Eh, <sighs> okay. um, next up, we've got a Bloodline Pretender. That, that's yeah, fine. Oh, and a, and a rare, I guess, first of several, hopefully. A Dragonkin Berserker. I've actually really liked this card in Arena Cube. I found that uh, most times you cast it, you end up making a dragon with it because there's just so many higher priority targets for removal besides a 2-2 first strike on turn two, say. And then, you know, you usually get to make a dragon off this thing. Yeah, it's not too shabby. Ooh, next up, I got a Hengegate Pathway. Nice. Uh, I'll take it. <laughs> I feel like I opened one of these in a pack a while ago because I put one right into Bruna, my, my commander deck. I guess I'll find somewhere else to toss this one. Next up, we got a Frost Augur. Eh. Whatever. Yeah, mediocre first pick. Oh, we just got a cube inclusion. It's a foil gold vein pick. Nice. That is going straight into my copy of the Arena Cube. Wow, what a nice pack. And then, uh, oh, that's it. Okay. So, well, there's actually some little thing in the back. It says Magic Minigame Booster Sleuth. Have you heard of this? No, I have not. I have no idea what this is. Okay. Two players, you need two packs in 10 minutes. It says on it, objective. Unlike Jace, not all of us can rely on telepathy to solve a mystery. Using other cards as clues, discover all the facts you can about your opponent's mystery card. Randomly determine who goes first. That player is the secret keeper, and their opponent is the detective. First, the secret keeper opens a pack and removes any lands and cards without magic card backs. Next, they shuffle the remaining cards and pick one at random. That card's the mystery card. Finally, the secret keeper gives the detective the rest of the cards, and the game begins. And then it, it, it keeps going, and there's a whole bunch of stuff about, like... I, th I think it's almost like, uh, like guess who? Or it, Interesting. Huh. That's kind of weird, uh, but maybe we could check that out at some point. Let's do that sometime. All right. Well, uh, I can't. I can't complain. I just got a full gold vein pick, so I I'm in. Anyway, let's move on to some other stuff. Um, how was your week? Yeah, we got our Teferi Tibble next. If you're new to the show or haven't heard this section before, this is the section of the show where we talk about our previous week, something good, something bad. So, um, yeah. So my Teferi this week was that uh, my aquarium finally started the cycle. We're starting to see ammonia build up, which is good because. It took way longer than I was anticipating for that to happen. Also, the stream went really well on on Saturday of, of this past week. Uh, we had a lot of awesome conversation with folks there. And uh, looking forward to doing more of that. I'm hoping to stream this week as well. I'm probably going to do that Saturday again. And also, speaking of streaming, we got a massive shout-out from Marshall Sutcliffe in the middle of his stream, which was amazing. Like, completely shouted out the podcast, shouted out my stream. It was like a whole deal. And I was... I, I can die happy now. It, it, I've made it. We've made it. What a, what, a guy. what a great guy. Yeah, seriously. My Tybalt is that I don't really have enough time to do all the things that I want to do. I've got a whole bunch of thoughts and ideas floating around in my head, and I just don't have enough time to get them all done. Yep. How about well, you? That, that's the eternal, uh, eternal. I don't know, even uh, a problem, paradox, issue with, with uh, having so many cool things going on in, in life. There's not a lot of time to do all these cool things. 
my safari this week made some pretty good ramen at home which Sweet. i usually just order ramen and uh call it a day i'm not a particularly good cook or, or chef or baker or really anything that has to do with making food uh it's not one of my natural skills but I think I've improved enough at this that I, I just threw a bunch of stuff in a pot and it worked. It was, it was pretty good. Nice. We tried making now, ramen here once. My And my roommate and I are like really into cooking. Um, but we, so we did the whole like, you know, 24 hour uh, bone broth type thing. Oh, and it, it came out okay, but honestly, it wasn't worth the amount of effort that it took. Maybe Maybe we need to refine the process a bit, but. Well, uh, then I'm especially proud of myself, given that I spent approximately one twenty-fourth of the time that you did. <laughs> nice. <laughs> My tidbit this week is that it's the end of the marking period, which means that I have a ton of grading to do. I spent probably three hours today just catching up on inputting grades from Google Classroom into our like uh, actual grade inputting service, and it, it, it's just a mess. And that's not even counting the fact that I have labs due this week and I have exams on Friday. So. I want to also get them back to students in time for them to make corrections. So then it's kind of like a double crunch time because, well, I don't have enough time to get it back to them. Then they have to have enough time to get it back to me. So uh, probably won't be playing too much magic over the next two days or so, but maybe this weekend I'll, I'll get to get back into it. Well, on the bright side, it's not like a new set's coming out in the next day or two. So, <laughs> not like I need any practice. Wait, is it the next day or two? Yeah, it's tomorrow. Oh I mean, as of the as of the time this episode's released, it was yesterday. But as of the time of our recording, it's tomorrow. You see, it's funny. I saw on Arena, you know how the little timers will come up over the uh, the certain tournaments? Yep. I saw that the timers came up on call time. And I was like, oh, that's weird. I guess they're going to cycle out and have something else come in before Strixhaven. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I guess that's actually the no, Strixhaven. No, it's, it's just Strixhaven, yeah. Wow. Well, then I guess we better get chatting about what's going on in this set. Absolutely. So that brings us to our main topic, which is, of course, the Strixhaven format breakdown. We do this every single set. So if you're interested in some of our previous iterations on this type of episode, go ahead and check those out. But this week we're talking about Strixhaven. For Strixhaven, you know, we're going to we're going to kind of set the scene here. We'll talk a little bit about what's going on with the, the format at a high level, and then we'll break down into all the different uh, archetypes. For Strixhaven, it looks like there's going to be basically a f sort of five main color pairs that decks will kind of fit into. It looks like each archetype might contain different kinds of decks, but there doesn't really seem to be any allied colored deck support. And if you don't know what allied colored deck support is, we'll probably talk about that in a back to basics at some point. So that said, we, we know that there are going to be these two color pairs or the, these five main uh, paired archetypes. But that said, knowing the top commons isn't actually useless. We're going to break down all of these color pairs the best that we can. And then we're going to go into, as I said, some of the, the monocolored cards that we feel uh, are top of their sort of class for, for commons. Um, so we'll, we'll get into that in just a little bit. So there's a few cycles that we're going to analyze within this set. It's weirdly symmetrical, but then there's also these little asymmetries here and there. We're going to check out the uncommon legend for each of the, uh, each of the colleges, the mascot that each of them have. Um, it's, it's also a card. It's a, well, it's a lesson, but we'll get to that too. The Pledge Mage and the Apprentice, uh, these two cards in each uh, each uh, college that have Magecraft, which we'll, we'll also get to. Uh, and a signpost, common and uncommon for each college. By the way, the mascots, they're pretty funny. This is like a college-themed set. So each of the specific colleges has their own creature. It's a token, and it kind of represents what their deck is trying to do. Now, each color pair has what seems to be a high value, almost like modern playable spell. We're going to ignore that cycle uh, for limited analysis because those are just going to be great no matter what. We don't really want to spend too much time diving into that. That's stuff like Rip Apart, Creative Outburst, 
there's a there's like a black green board wipe or something. There's there's a lot of these uh, dual colored uncommons that they're just always going to be great. Take them when you can. They'll go right into your deck. Uh, now we should probably quickly talk about the main mechanics in this set. So first up, we've got Magecraft. So every Magecraft ability starts off the same way. They all read whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell. Dot 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 and fill in the blank with whatever the cards. So we're going to see Magecraft show up on every single Apprentice and every single Pledge Mage. So there's kind of this cool uh, cool symmetry there. We're also going to see it show up on a lot of other cards. So consider that uh, uh, color pairs that don't often care too much about instants and sorceries, say black, green, or white, black, will actually have some payoffs. In fact, one of the best cards in the set for Constructed is a white one-drop that has Magecraft. Pretty wild. Uh, next up, we also have Learn. So... Learn is a, it's a bit of a strange design space, right? They're kind of digging more into the sideboard than we've seen them do in the past, at least as far as I can think of, right? Like, have there been any other instances where, where this has been a thing? No, I mean, the closest thing we saw was Companions, and this is kind of another take at a way to leverage uh, cards that are out, quote-unquote, outside of the game. If you've seen that clause before, typically outside-of-the-game clauses on cards reference your sideboard, and so learn is another way to sort of leverage your sideboard. And I think it's also a way to tweak the way that Magic approaches sideboards as we move into and continue to use this best-of-one structure on Arena. Now, the actual text of learn, a card, for example, will just say learn. Then in parentheses, it'll say you may reveal a lesson card you own from outside the game and put it into your hand or discard a card to draw a card. So these lesson cards tend to be, uh, I, I want to say silver bullet-esque cards, but um, they're actually kind of bad. What's worse than a bullet, like a silver nerf, nerf dart? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I want to say that these uh, tend to be silver nerf darts and that they're often pretty flexible. A lot are colorless or uh, can be cast from multiple decks. For example, they use hybrid mana to get around you know, being too narrow. And they tend to answer a very specific problem. So having a lot of these and having a pretty flexible toolbox in your sideboard that you can go access with learn cards, especially because this is card advantage, right? You could always like discard this card to, I don't know, an effect to draw several or something like that. The ability to go get an extra card is kind of just going to have uh, these two-for-ones stapled onto random archetypes that we're used to seeing in, in draft. However, uh, this often makes them a little bit overcosted. So it's going to be an interesting balance to strike as to when you're going to want to take these uh, learn cards and when you're going to take the lessons that go with them. Yeah, and then you now, also have the balance of when you're going to play the lessons in your main deck versus when you're going to put them in the sideboard and things of that nature as well to keep keep in mind. Yep, absolutely. Now, there's only one more new mechanic. It's actually an old one that's just now being keyworded. It's called Ward. So a card will say ward and then it'll have something in uh, next to it. It might be pay some life or uh, a mana cost. So whenever this creature becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, counter it unless that player pays whatever the cost was. So if it was paying life or uh, paying mana. Otherwise, the spell will be countered. Neat. Yeah, this is a, a quote-unquote fixed version of Hexproof. It's a nice way to give creatures Hexproof but still allow interaction from your opponent. I think it's a nice new evergreen keyword, and we're going to be seeing this in every set to come, essentially, because it's an evergreen keyword, so it can just show up anywhere. Yeah, uh, I think it was Sir Eleonora, was it? The the blue uncommon knight from Eldraine that had a very similar ability. We, mm -hmm. we see these show up on, on all sorts of stuff, so it'll be nice to you know free up some room in their text boxes in the future, just 
put a nice little word keyword there, there instead. All right, let's get into the colleges. What's uh what's first on our on our I guess our class schedule. Yeah, so first up we have Lorehold, and Lorehold is the name of the Boros College, or I guess that's actually a weird way to put it because the two don't actually align, but Lorehold is the red-white college for Strixhaven, and Lorehold, as an archetype, cares about a couple of things. Notably, it cares about graveyard value. It likes to recur cards from your graveyard. It has a number of cards that care about cards leaving your graveyard, which is a huge change in sort of the red-white uh, color identity, which I think is pretty cool. It's a great great new take at what red-white can do. It also cares about spirits and exile as well. So, as I said, this is kind of a new direction for red-white, and I really like it, personally. It's a, it's a nice change of pace. It's hopefully going to be a successful design that gives red-white a nice bit of identity, because I know white in the past has been a color that really hasn't felt like it had much of a home. A lot of white cards feel like they just kind of get slapped together last minute and don't really have an identity. Uh, for a little while, white's color identity was like lifelink-ish, kind of. And then yeah. it was like, who knows what it is. So now it's we're getting this little when cards leave the graveyard kind of theme. Lots of cards that care about cards leaving the graveyard are often tied to these the, the school mascot for Lorehold, which is a 3-2 red-white spirit token. I'm a little disappointed personally that these spirits don't have flying because they're spirits. <laughs> what kind of spirit can't just float? Uh, I don't know. But we have I a guess. card here, the actual uh, legendary creature for uh, Lorehold at Common. This is e Each of the colleges has a student, which is represented representative of the college, and it's a legend at Uncommon. And in this case, we have Quintorius Field Historian. It's three red-white for a legendary creature, Elephant Cleric at Uncommon. It's a 2-4. And it says, spirits you control get plus one, plus oh, so a half-lord, sort of. And whenever one or more cards leave your graveyard, create a 3-2 red and white spirit creature token. So, clearly cares about spirits, clearly cares about cards leaving your graveyard. This is pretty quintessential, no pun intended. Quintory essential? Yeah. <laughs> uh, for for what Lorehold is going to be looking to do. And so, this is kind of an interesting uh, way to show that this is basically how the deck's going to play out, right? You're going to want this sort of mid-rangey deck to come together where you have ways to build up your board early, uh, get get some of these creatures. It's a little bit weird because a lot of the creatures in Lorehold are statted such that they are good blockers rather than attackers, but then the tokens that they make are, you know, statted to be attackers. So there's a little bit of a, a payoff here, or a trade-off rather, between power and toughness and what the deck's trying to do. It looks like you're going to have a lot of cards that care about setting up your board and keeping you alive while you pump out these spirit tokens, get value out of your cards coming out of the graveyard, and then eventually kill your opponent and kind of swing into like a late game aggressive deck. Quintorius by itself is just bad. If you had nothing that interacted with your graveyard or no other spirits in your deck, you would never put a 5 mana 2-4 in a modern limited deck, right? But if you get one spirit off this, you've gotten... 6-6 six, six worth of value across two creatures for five mana. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and notably, not only are these uh, these spirits uh, a good pairing with Quintorius, but there's a bunch of other just spirit cards. Red-White has a, a lot of spirits running around, so this Half-Lord effect will be pretty useful. Yeah, I think Red-White also is going to have some builds that are just capable of the usual Red-White beatdown. Like, there's, there's two mana, two twos that you can just attack really fast with. And if your opponent is trying to do some big blue-green thing, then... Yeah, you're going to beat them before they can really develop. But uh, if you have access to some of these cool late game payoffs that then switch into these kind of mid-range, potentially even aggressive decks, this sounds really cool. Don't be afraid to, to try out this weird new plan. So again, uh, 
we want to mention the lesson uh, for each of these houses or colleges or, you know, whatever. Spirit summoning is this one. It's one and then hybrid red-white, hybrid red-white. So the total mana value eh, is nice. three. It's a lesson. So you can go get this off learn cards. It just says, uh, create a 3-2 red and white spirit creature token. Now, all of them will have that same text. Uh, they're differently costed, though, so we'll still mention them. Also worth mentioning here that all lessons are sorceries, so it's it's a new subtype of card. It's not a new overall like top level to uh, type of card. They are just sorceries, but they are they are subtyped as lessons. Let's check out Lorehold Apprentice. This is the apprentice of the cycle for for Lorehold. Costs red white. It's a two two human cleric. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell until end of turn, spirit creatures you control gain tap. This creature deals one damage each opponent. Huh. Yeah, so kind of this another one. look at like a late game aggressor, right? If you have if you have the Lorehold Apprentice out and you can start generating a ton of spirit tokens, then suddenly end game it's like cast a I don't know any kind of burn spell, ping for eight, <laughs> and then your opponent's dead, right? So it's like kind of an interesting way to switch aggro to be sort of this late game mechanic as opposed to an early game one. Yeah, it's a little strange. This. Obviously, it doesn't pair well with attacking because it requires your, your spirits to tap, right? The way I see this being useful is, I mean, you're going to put it in any red-white deck, right? But it, it, it is just a two-mana two-two with, with upside. But I could see this being most useful if your opponent has like a 4-4 four -four that's blanking your 3 Exactly. And then you're like, oh, well, wait a minute. I can actually still get around and start chipping in for like, I don't know, the ability to tap your board to ping to the face for like three each turn pretty good also uh, not that two-headed giant games are likely to be happening for a while but i always note when something says each opponent ping it for sure and then lastly we have the the pledge mage for lorehold uh, notably called the lorehold pledge mage and this costs the same as spirit summoning it's one hybrid red white hybrid red white so a total of three mana spread over the lorehold colors it's a two two creature core shaman at common and it has first strike so a three mana two two first strike eh. But it also has Magecraft, and that says whenever you cast it or copy an instant or sorcery spell, Lorehold Pledge Mage goes plus one, plus zero oh until end of turn. So this turns your combat tricks into an additional little fire-breathing effect. Eh. Yeah. How Seems do you decent. block this? Yeah. Like, wh what creature do you feel safe putting in front of this? A 3-3? Three, three? Definitely not. A 1-1 one, one Pest. Four, four? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. A 1-1 one, one Pest, I suppose. But, like, I I'm not even entirely confident blocking this with a 4-4. Four, four. Maybe not even a 5-5 five, five if your opponent likely has combat tricks. This seems like a solid little attacker. Yeah, again, a little bit weird because we're talking about how Lorehold's kind of hoping to have this like late game sort of effect. This is a two-two that scales relatively well with the game, I suppose. But yeah, it's it's weird. You kind of this this makes you seem like you want to be aggressive, and this is a card that I expect to see in a lot of black-white decks, which we'll get to later because you can cast this for mono-white. Expect to see this in in some aggressive decks as well. And uh, I wanted to mention a signpost uncommon and common pretty quickly. There's something called Lorehold Excavation. This is this one's a doozy. So it's red white for an enchantment. Already off to a weird start. At the beginning of your end step, mill a card. Okay. If a land card is milled this way, you gain one life. Otherwise, Lorehold Excavation deals one damage to each opponent. And you can pay five, exile a creature card from your graveyard, create a tapped 3-2 red and white spirit creature token. I don't think this is particularly great. I think it's incredibly sweet. <laughs> yeah, agree. This is a, this is a typical draft chaff uh, uncommon here. Oh, yeah. We love to see cards like this because they're just super fun to build around. I agree with you, though. Probably not going to be very good. Like, five mana to make a 3-2. You can do it at instant speed, but you also then need creatures it in your graveyard. In well... Yeah. Yeah, the, the creature comes in tapped, but you can do the effect at instant speed. So if you had yeah, other instants yeah. and sorceries, you could leave up the mana. I guess it's a nice yeah. mana sink at the end, at late game. But 
I don't know, that random, like, millicard thing is fine, but it gains you only one. Like, it doesn't really seem that useful. The ping effect doesn't seem overly useful. Like, pinging for one a turn isn't a, a very quick clock. We've seen cards like um, uh, the the Dogged Pursuit from, from Call Time. Like, it just... It, didn't really get there like this is not that this is way worse than that so um what you just die to this <laughs> like if it's going to the long game which is presumably where you want this what your opponent just like let you mill yourself out yeah you're, right you're gonna you're probably gonna mill well i mean technically you shouldn't mill yourself before you kill your opponent from the damage aspect of things but you do have lands getting milled. Like, it's just weird. I don't expect this to be good at all, but I like what they're trying to do. It's fun. I think you might need some, like, wacky rares or mythics, or you might want something very particular before you put this in your deck. I think it'll probably see play. I think there'll be reasons to, to do this. You'll want to be super in on the uh, on, on this plan. Make sure if you commit to this that you have, like, ways of uh, actually getting some big graveyard value uh cards that come back from the graveyard there's a common that can exile itself that can uh, turn itself into a spirit for that same cost um make sure you're not gonna <laughs> make sure you're not gonna die before your opponent if you cast this that's all i'm gonna say yeah I, I will mention too it doesn't seem like it but it actually covers every card type sort of because it it cares about lands right when you mill land you gain a life if you mill creatures you can use its effect and lorehold kind of cares about having instants and sorceries in the graveyard just naturally so the mill is going to help you get cards in your graveyard so you can get them out of your graveyard later. So it does synergize with what Lorehold's trying to do. It's just a weird effect and probably too slow. That said, we've got our signpost common here. And this one, it's weird because it's a multi, it's a, a gold, a gold common. So we're getting those now. Uh, Stonebound Mentor is one red white for a 3-3 Spirit Advisor at common. It's a creature. Whenever one or more cards leave your graveyard, scry one. So this is, you know, an, an exemplary effect. A 3-3 three, three for 3, getting to scry whenever you get something to leave the battlefield, uh, leave the graveyard is, is exactly what Lorehold's trying to do. Mm -hmm. You can see Quintorius there in the art. Notably, this is a spirit, so they uh, they pair pretty well together. This thing would get up to a 4-3. I mean, it, it's a 3-mana three 3-3. Three, three. If you're in red-white, you're just always going to play this, I think. And uh, yeah, if you're doing the other stuff that red and white are trying to do, there's other ways to recur. And uh, yeah, you're going to be scrying a little bit, which the red-white deck, I guess, would want. Top-decking lands late game in red-white usually feels bad no matter how weird your build of it is. Agreed. Next up, we've got Quandrix, or blue-green. Now, this one's near and dear to my heart, as they seem to be the like physics mages. There's a lot of really cool names and puns, and I'm excited for the uh, the Flavortown episode of, of, uh, of Strixhaven, I'm sure. It's going to be a, a very good one. So, Blue-Green cares about having eight lands in play. It cares about drawing cards. It cares about ramping and putting those lands into play that it draws. Who would have guessed, right? Simic is able to draw cards and put lands into play. <laughs> yeah, definitely not in their color identity in the past, so I really love this shift. <laughs> yeah, uh... Here's, here's the best part. Not only does it draw extra cards and put lands into play, that's the enabler. Sometimes you even get paid off for having eight lands and drawing extra cards. So I'm excited to get to do some exponential growth, if you will. Now, this uh, this college has fractals as their, uh, as their mascot. Now, these things, they don't really have stats because they're always different size. Uh, sometimes you pay X for them. Sometimes you create a, one, a certain one. Sometimes there's a way to put extra counters on them or, or do other things with them. So I, I should mention Fractal Summoning is uh, the Quandrix lesson. It's X, blue-green, blue-green. That's a hybrid hybrid. So uh, it has a mana value of two and then the X next to it. Uh, it again, is a sorcery lesson. Create a 0-0 zero, zero green and blue Fractal creature token. Put X, 1-1 one, one counters on it. All right. 
Nice. Now it's kind of below rate, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, making naturally a it's below rate. Four, yeah, like that. That doesn't sound particularly great. When you start paying a lot more mana for this, say a seven mana five five, it's a little less embarrassing. But there's other ways to interact with with the fractal summoning itself. Also, the zero zero, uh, it, it has some pretty strange interactions. So cards that affect base power and toughness, these can actually change the zero zero. So if this was, say, a 2-2, two, two, because it was a 0-0 zero, zero with two counters on it, there's a few cards in the set, a handful, especially in blue, that change things base power. And I think people looked at these and kind of you know, gave it a weird look because we saw multiple effects like this. We usually don't see that. However, with fractals, this could turn that 2-2 two, two fractal into a 6-6, six, six, some of which at instant speed. That's a pretty scary attacker. Uh, I think there could be like a, I don't know, fractal beatdown plan at some point, but... Uh, th that's a pipe dream. Maybe I'll get to live that at some at some point. This just looks like classic blue green value town me, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of your typical stuff. You look at the uh, the legendary creature for the set, and you see like it's got the land additions. I'll let you cover the card, but land lands matter basically is is the sub theme. There are also these like plus one plus one counter sub themes, which actually spread throughout a couple of the colleges here, and so. It looks like it wants to go big and it wants to cast a bunch of mass massive spells and just beat your opponent down with value. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Zimone Quandrix Prodigy. This is green blue for a 1-2 legendary creature, human wizard at uncommon. You can pay one tapper. You may put a land from, uh, sorry, you put a land card. I don't know if that's relevant ever. A land card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. Or you can pay four tapper, draw a card. If you control eight or more lands, draw two cards instead. Ooh, I mean... Here's the thing with Zimone. If you have been adding extra lands to the battlefield, just putting extra lands down, casting bigger spells ahead of schedule, that's already a pretty good way to win a game of Magic, right? That's a plan unto itself. But now you're getting paid off for having a good plan? Yeah, <laughs> I'm in. Yeah, I agree with you, but it's funny because I think I'm actually a little disappointed by both of her abilities. Like, the activated really? abil the top activated ability is pay one tapper, put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. So it's... I guess it's only a one mana ramp spell. If you think about it that way, it's pretty great. But I'm thinking about it as like from a ramp perspective, it's kind of slow because it's costing you a mana to get the effect and the, the land enters tapped. But it is still just a one mana ramp spell. The card draw is pretty great, but it's a strictly worse divination. So, you know. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Well, this is a good note. This isn't actually like, it's not card advantage. Uh, her first ability, that is. It's just putting land that was already in your hands onto the battlefield. People tend to value this effect too high. I think I'm I'm excited on it, but uh, don't let my excitement also contribute to that overvaluing. If you don't have any lands in hand, this is going to be really awkward. But I think blue-green has a lot of ways of drawing cards, coincidentally some of which put extra lands into play already. So... I have a feeling she's going to be a pretty good fit for any blue-green deck. Also, super minor thing, but I think, and I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure Arena's going to let you activate her top ability if you don't have a land in hand because it's a May effect. So you, you're going to see the outline on the card on Arena or whatever that says you can activate the effect. If you don't have a land in play, you can still pay the one mana, you can still tap her, but then you don't have to do anything because it's a May. So All right. keep that in mind as well. You have fun doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not sure how relevant that's going to be, but I was just thinking about it. Let's talk about Quandrix Apprentice. It's green-blue for a 2-2 human wizard at Uncommon. It has Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery, look at the top three cards of your library. You may reveal a land card from among them and put that land into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. All right, we figured out how you're going to get the extra lands. This guy. Next up, we got Quandrix Pledge Mage. This is one hybrid green, hybrid blue. 
hybrid green hybrid blue there's really no good way of saying that simic hybrid simic hybrid quandrix no, quandrix it's, yeah it's got to be quandrix quandrix or we're not on right. ravnica okay let, let, let's use this formatting this might work one quandrix quandrix which is a total mana value of three uh for a two two creature it's a merfolk druid at common it's again a pledge mage so it's got magecraft whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell put a one one counter on it okay <laughs> It's going to sit around, scales well with the game. You're not super happy to top deck this in the late game, but even then, it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I mean, Magecraft is really cool in that way because it doesn't cost anything. Like, this is play a 3-mana 2-2, which is a little bit below rate, but then just keep casting your spells and you're going to make it bigger. Like, sure, I'll take that. Yeah, uh, with one instant or sorcery cast, you're, like, pretty happy. You're fine with it, right? If you cast two, you got yourself a 3-mana 4-4. Awesome. This thing also pairs well with combat tricks, too. Agreed. Next up, we've got Quandrix Cultivator. Oh, man. All right. This one is one green Quandrix blue, right? Yeah. For a 3-4 creature, it's a turtle druid at uncommon. It's one of the build arounds. So this is a... Or, uh, not build arounds. Uh, this is a signpost. In fact, this one doesn't require any building around at all. When it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a basic forest or island card. Put it onto the battlefield. doesn't say tap. Then shuffle. Boom. Sure. <laughs> More four ramp. mana, three, four that ramps you, I'll take it. Yep. Especially because this seems like a, a a late game format. We're already starting to see that like red, white is happy going until turn seven or eight or later. All right. It, it's already shaping up to be a unique format. So any deck that can get itself to that late game faster, whether it's by putting extra lands in play or just hard ramping like this, it's going to be a good plan. And finally, we have Biomathematician. This is one green blue for a 2-2 human wizard. When it enters the battlefield, create a 0-0 green and blue fractal creature token. Put a plus one, plus one counter on each fractal you control. Cool. Yeah, that's going to be fun. It's, I mean, a 3-mana 2-2 that also enters with a 1-1, so, you know, you're getting your, your mana's worth of stats in value. And then if you have any other fractals lying around, there's, it's just extra value, so super cool. Yep. These work really well in multiples, too. Absolutely. All right, that brings us to Prismari, and Prismari is the blue-red college. It is involving big spells, treasure, and magecraft uh, quite a bit, so we can we can look into some of those things. Those are the big features that it really has. It's focused on big spells more than anything, ramping up to them, potentially even copying them. So we see already some, some intricacies that are overlapping with Lorehold and Quandrix already, so the red aspect with copying spells, and you get the magecraft side of things, and, of course, ramping with uh, the big spells and such from Quandrix. It's kind of sweet. The, the the Prismari College as a whole is sort of this like performance art sort of feel like that. That's the whole like shtick of the college. Peter so, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so Lorehold, we had the, the like history buffs. Quandrix is the math geeks. Here we have the theater kids, and then we've got uh, a couple of others coming up as well. So pretty cool the way that they're kind of breaking this up into the, the separate colleges. Um, the theme for Prismari here is when you get to cast seven plus drops. And of course, when you can cast a big spell like that, it's going to be a good show anyway. But this is really what uh, Quandrix wants to do. So that being said, most limited decks can't really play a bunch of eight drops. Like that's just like, you can't just jam like 13, eight, eight plus drops in your deck and be happy about it so we're gonna have to see how often these these big spells are able to get cast and which ones are worth playing in your deck but to mitigate that a lot of them actually have this clause that says you can discard this card pay some amount of mana discard this card to make a treasure which allows the deck to cash in on them it's kind of an interesting take on like the cycle effect lets you 
not draw a card, but you can discard them to to kind of ramp yourself, which helps with the the future ones, which is which is kind of a cool idea, um, and lets you cash in on the ones that are uncastable. So even if you kind of get mana screwed, you're not really going to have any issue with it. Um, so yeah, let's so, take. A, go ahead. Oh yeah, a note on this. I think it's important to address that by itself, this isn't particularly great. Discarding or p- paying two mana to make a treasure, uh, you're using a card on that, right? So that's not a particularly good rate, but. If you're able to ramp up into one of these really pushed, powerful, huge spells, the idea is that by casting that, you're buying back your, say, card disadvantage and tempo loss that you might have gotten by spending two mana to make one mana that you can use later. Two mana and a card for one mana that you can use later. You want a pretty big payoff. Some of these spells actually get there. Agreed, yeah. So let's take a look at the legendary uncommon for Prismari. This is Rutha, Mercurial Artist. It's one blue red for a 1-4 legendary orc shaman at uncommon. And it has an activated ability of two, return Rutha to your to its owner's hand, copy target instant or sorcery spell you control, you may choose new targets for the copy. So, okay, like two mana once per turn, copy a spell, like that's pretty cool. It's a little bit more expensive than that, obviously, because you have to recast her, but it's great for that first effect. You might be able to ramp into one of these big spells we're talking about and copy it for two extra mana. Like that that's it's a twin cast on a body, which is which is great. This is cool. I mean, I have a feeling it'll mostly be used as value, like copy a three drop removal spell. You'll be perfectly happy with it then. But if you ever get to copy one of these seven or eight drops, First of all, put a picture on our Discord, because that's going to be sweet. Uh, second of all, you're just going to win that game. Absolutely. And our summoning for this co- this college here is Elemental Summoning. It's three Prismari Prismari, so blue-red, blue-red hybrid. And it says create a 4-4 four, four blue and red elemental creature token. So the mascots for Prismari are elementals. Seems fine. I mean, it's a five-mana 4-4, four, four, but it fits into multiple archetypes because it's a hybrid mana. Nothing super exceptional here, but, you know, a fine a fine card to grab out of your sideboard if you happen to have another Lorne spell that you're willing to uh, willing to put in your main deck. Yeah, sometimes you'll just want to go get a 5-mana 4-4. Interestingly, I think people are going to have to start considering the curve of their lesson cards, right? You can't just take, like, 10 of these and hope it'll work out. You might want to start considering what your actual learn cards uh, cost and when you're going to be tutoring for specific lessons. Uh, this is going to be something that I really don't know if we're going to have a good understanding of until we start doing some some actual gameplay. Also, is I, I think I've only just now realized this, though I may have thought about it before and forgotten it and now re-realizing it, but it's not lost on me now that you learn, like learn tutors you uh, to the lesson. Oh my God, that's brilliant. <laughs> that's pretty good. Wow. All right. Our next uncommon here is Prismari Apprentice. This is the apprentice for the Prismari decks, and it's blue-red for 2-2, as we've seen uh, pretty commonly so far. It is an uncommon human shaman, and it has magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, Prismari Apprentice can't be blocked this turn. If that spell has mana value 5 or greater, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on it. Hmm. Sure, I guess. I don't know. This doesn't. This this seems so far to me the worst of the apprentices. Like it's this a two-two. One, it's how how happy are you to be jamming with your unblockable two-two one for one turn? Like that doesn't seem great. And I guess putting the counter on it is a bigger deal. More and more you can do that. But how many five plus drops are you gonna be playing with your two-two still alive? Right. Yeah, this will still go into blue red decks. I mean, you'll maybe do this and then do a bunch of other stuff, and then you'll cast your big spell on turn seven or eight. And then you're like, oh, wait, I have this unblockable 3-3, and they're at 8. This is pretty good now. True. Uh, There's another way to use this, which is with a more aggressive version of this deck. Um, 
I think that uh, there's kind of this low to the ground build where you're using some cheap tempo cards and and cheap little pump spells from red. In which case, this thing is just going to get in for a ton of damage. We don't usually see unblockable on on two two bodies. We often see it on stuff with one power. But I mean, this could potentially end the game in what five turns after you play if you cast an instant or sorcery every time. Yeah, I mean, if you do have a bunch of one-drops, there are these mystical archives, which we'll talk about later, which are included in every pack, and those include cards like Opt and Faithless Looting. So if you can just start cycling a bunch of cards every turn, like, it's going to hurt. Yeah, if you can get low to the ground with your spell count, or spell mana value, it's going to be it's gonna be big beats. Next up, we have Prismari Pledge Mage. This is uh, Prismari Prismari, so two, two total mana for 3-3 three, three Orc Wizard at Common. Okay, we're above rate, so we're expecting some downside here. The first line of text here is that it has Defender, so it's a great blocker, uh, but it also has Magecraft, and Magecraft says whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, Prismari Pledge Mage can attack this turn as though it didn't have Defender. Hmm. Seems kind of decent. Like It's a two-drop that you're happy to have in most cases, and the deck that cares about having a bunch of instants and sorceries anyway is probably going to be attacking pretty regularly. Yeah, I mean, this seems to block a lot of the two drops we've seen so far pretty effectively. This probably blocks or trades with a lot of three drops. Probably a handful of four drops this can block and trade with, right? So if your goal is to make it until the late game, uh, I'd be pretty happy with a handful of these. Yeah. Next up is Creative Outburst. This is three blue, blue, red, red. So a total of seven mana. One of the first big spells that we're highlighting here. It's an instant at uncommon. And it says Creative Outburst deals five damage to any target. Look at the top five cards of your library, put one of them into your hand, and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. But that's not all. Right. It also has an activated ability here that says the the uh, sort of the treasure effect. It's Prismari, Prismari, discard a creative outburst, create a treasure token. So if you don't have that seven mana or you really just need to ramp into something, maybe you didn't hit your land drop, you can always cash this in for a treasure. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, th- this is, I think, worth the cost. You really wanted this to be a, like a little cheaper, but I mean, this is going to kill the best thing on your opponent's side of the board. And five cards, that's pretty deep. You're seeing a good chunk of your deck. Maybe you even find your next big spell off this. You can't afford to play too many like seven or eight drops in your deck, but when they draw each other, and then they're much better. Yeah, also, this is going to be triggering all of your cards that care about seeing those big spells get cast. It also doesn't care what type of card you take. It's just put a card into your hand. So that's pretty big. Yeah, I, I like Creative Outburst. I think it's gonna it's gonna be a good card in most Prismari decks. Also, fantastic art. Oh yeah, all the art in this set has been phenomenal. Speaking of, next up is Spectacle Mage, and this is one of my favorite arts for the set so far. It's one sure. blue red for a two two bird shaman at common. It has flying, and it says instant and sorcery spells you cast with mana value five or greater cost one less to cast. I'll take it. Yeah, I think Spectacle Mage is gonna be pretty much an absolute necessity for anyone hoping to cast these massive spells in a reasonable amount of time the other the, the pledge mage and the apprentice they're a little lower to the ground I mean, this deck doesn't mind waiting until the late game but like i said i think there's going to be you know, two builds to this uh so, kind of similar to red white it's strange that we have some red cards that don't mind going to the late game and some that still want to do the usual red thing of feeding down early also this is a common like it's not going to be hard to get these yeah this is also just a three mana two two flyer this thing can attack too yeah <laughs> What the heck? I didn't realize this This feels a lot more pushed than I first realized uh, reading it. Next up, we've got a college that I am particularly excited for and I am enrolled in. Black Green Witherbloom. Oh, man. They finally made Black Green good again. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The set isn't out yet. Let's not jump to conclusions here. 
No, no, no. I, I'm already all in. I have. I, I, I'm willing to go into student debt for this college. Like I, I am. I'm absolutely sold. I got all my textbooks on pre-order because not only do we have the usual black green value stuff, we've got life gain synergies. We have sacrifice synergies, and we have what I'm calling big death synergy. <laughs> uh, more on that in a bit. Now, the mascot here is called a pest. Uh, now, a pest is a 1-1 black and green creature, and it has, when this creature dies, you gain one life. These are my favorite of the tokens, uh, especially because the, the lesson here, the summoning, pest summoning, it's a one wither bloom, wither bloom. Again, uh, a sorcery lesson, so uh, mana value of three. Create two 1-1 one, one black and green pest creature tokens with when they die, you gain a life. So, uh, first of all, this just makes several bodies. Uh, historically, cards that make multiple bodies like this, especially because they have additional upside of life, these tend to be pretty solid. Especially mm-hmm. because this is a lesson, you can go get it when you need it. This is one that I might not be embarrassed to main deck, especially when we talk about the other things that Black Green has going on. Mainly, life gain and sacrifice. Pests are the perfect fodder for this. They, they, they're, they're a flawless design for, for this type of deck. Life gain payoffs and enablers are everywhere across all rarities. And there's uh, going to be plenty of pests running around. And also a good number of cards that involve sacrifice triggers. So the longer your game goes, anyone that's played a game of Commander knows what it's like to have a someone with a Blood Artist or a Zulaport Cutthroat. Or a, I think there's one more. It's a Vampire. Vampire Noble, something like that. Stromkurt Noble, maybe. Uh, on the battlefield, where whenever a creature dies, whether it's yours or someone else's, uh, each player, or target player, whatever, loses a life. I'm envisioning several board states that this deck can build where if it just stalls out, it's going to come up with this, this big, unsurmountable value advantage through life gain and sacrifice and, and triggers. And this one just seems like a lot of fun to play. I cannot wait to try it. So our, uh, our student we're going to have a chat with here is Dina Soulsteeper. Uh, she's black green for a 1-3 legendary creature, a dryad druid, uh, an uncommon, of course. <laughs> it looks like she's got a, a nice steaming cup of fresh soul there. <laughs> <laughs> you like, get some good soul juice, yeah. Whenever you gain life, each opponent loses one life. Okay, cool. Uh, a, a blight priest, right? We already saw how strong that can be in, in a Zendikar Rising. And she has the active ability of pay one, sacrifice another creature. Dina Soulsteeper gets plus X plus zero until end of term, where X is the sacrificed creature's power. This pairs really well with the fact that she has three toughness, so she can attack into a lot of boards pretty profitably. And if you have like, I don't know, a 5-5 in the late game, she can eventually threaten to just kill your opponent, right? If you have a, a developed board, maybe like 10 other power, she can swing it as an 11-3. Like, she becomes must block. Yeah, that's true. Although I will say, if your opponent has a Prismari Pledge Mage on the other side of the battlefield, you feel pretty bad <laughs> dropping your Dina in front of it. All right, all right, that's true. Uh, hopefully Black Green has some ways to deal with that. Let's check out the Witherbloom Apprentice. This is Black Green for a 2-2 Human Druid at Uncommon. The Magecraft ability is whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. All right. I love it. I don't see this so much. Oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, just that that's the uh that's that's the combo right there. I mean, it's not actually. They yeah. templated it in such a way that it doesn't work as you want it to work with Dina because you need to cast spells to get that trigger to happen, but yeah. uh you know, it's at least approaching that combo. Yeah. Now, I don't see this much as a build around so much as it's going to be a good value card in any black green deck so what i mean is that i don't think you're going to want to up your instant sorcery count i think black green is still ultimately going to be a creature based deck 
However, you have the uh, the pest summonings that make pests. That's an instant of sorcery. Curving Witherbloom Apprentice into a pest summoning is kind of cute. Uh, I think that you're going to be happy just triggering this a handful of times with the instants and sorceries that you're you're playing anyway. Also, the ones that you're grabbing off of your uh, your learn cards because that's kind Absolutely. of just like free spells. I think a lot of decks are really going to be something like 47 or 48 card decks. And those extra seven or eight cards might all be instants and sorceries that you're getting off of your learn cards. So that ups the instant sorcery count from a usual seven or eight to 14 or 15, making Witherbloom Apprentice look a little more appealing uh, than it might in a typical black. Next up, we've got Witherbloom Pledge Mage. This is three Witherbloom Witherbloom. It's a 5-5 five, five Tree Folk Warlock. Cool. And it's a common. Uh, the Magecraft ability on this is whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, gain one life. <laughs> okay, so uh, half the Magecraft ability of the last one. Yeah, that feels a little bit bad, but it is a 5-mana five 5-5, five, so you can't complain too much. Yeah, notably, Witherbloom does care more about the gain life trigger. If this was uh, the other half, each opponent loses life, I think it'd actually be a good bit worse. But, yeah. you know. Also, I think something that we kind of skimmed over in Prismari, but I think is worth real quick cycling back to, is that sure. Magecraft cares about casts and copies. So mm. if you are copying a spell off of uh, you know, one of the effects that, that allows you to do so, you're getting two Magecraft triggers off of that, right? Because you cast a spell and then you... Yeah, so uh, keep that in mind as well as you're, as you're building your Prismari decks. Mm-hmm. And weirdly enough, I believe every single color has a way of copying spells, uh, which is uh, very strange. Some of them are, are pseudo storm. I think white has like a, a kind of storm S one S one uncommon. I believe black has a an uncommon card draw spell that requires you to sack creatures, and you make a copy of it on the stack for each creature you sacked. Red and blue, they can you know they're they're used to doing that. Um, and green, I forget if green actually has one. I think it? there's a cycle of them, yeah. Yeah, uh, someone can remind me that in the Discord is I'm, I'm blanking on it right now. Next up, we have Wither Bloom. Oh wait, no, I already, I already did that one. We have a uh, Damagoth Woe Eater. Damagoth Woe Eater is one black Wither Bloom green, so mana value of four for a seven six. Wait a minute, a four mana seven six. It's a demon. It's uncommon, and it has at the beginning of your upkeep sacrifice a creature. Okay, there it is. Okay, yeah, nice. But this one's a roller coaster. We have huge upside, a little bit of downside, but ready? Whenever you sacrifice it, each opponent discards a card, you draw a card, and you gain two life. Yeah, what the heck? I think I want to sacrifice this. Well, that's <laughs> this so sweet. so here's here's the thing, right? Because of the way it's templated, it says sack a creature, which means it can sack itself. So if you have nothing else in the battlefield, you do sack this, but then you get that extra be- benefit uh from that second clause. Can you imagine just turn three pest summoning, turn four woe eater, and you're just like, all right. Let's do it. I'm I'm smacking you with a 7-6 for two turns. Yeah, so even at worst, let's say you just you top deck this in the late game, your opponent can't really attack into this, right? Even if it's their only creature and they have like one creature, you've bought yourself a turn. I mean, it's a 7-6. This is huge. It's at least going to trade with whatever they can throw at you. So you slam this thing down, and at worst, you just sacrifice it and... I mean, you do get a two for one out of this because you they discard a card and you draw a card uh, and you gain two life. Yeah, this is this is awesome. Huge fan of this card. Yep, I'm excited to play with this one. Last but not least, we have uh, what I can already see becoming my pet card from the set, Moldering Karak. It's two black green for a 3-3 zombie crocodile. 
It has Trample and Lifelink. Four mana, three, three, Trample, Lifelink. It's simple. It's beautiful. It's a common, and I'm going to have a very hard time passing this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Trample's lost a little bit on a 3-3, but it is going to get through. We've seen a lot of high power, uh, sorry, rather high toughness creatures, but obviously all of the uh, all of the apprentices are going to get hit by this, and um, there are a number of X3s, so it's going to at least trade quite well. Oh, and this thing wears counters pretty well. Yes, it does. Man, I wish there was a set that could put counters on things. Does that exist? Uh, a particular college that does that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny you should ask that because next up we have the black white college, which is Silver Quill. Whoa. What? Which actually <laughs> cares about plus one plus one counters. That's that's so crazy that you would bring that up. Yeah. Um that is kind of the main theme for Silver Quill. Otherwise it's like sort of about targeting and has some flyers. I don't know. To me, Silver Quill is a little bit of the looser. It's like like the loosest of the, the colleges. Um yeah. It's definitely aggressive, definitely likes counters, but it's kind of odd otherwise. Um, our our legendary creature for Silverquill is Killian Ink Duelist. It's white, black for a 2-2, human warlock and uncommon. It has lifelink, it has menace, and it says spells you cast that target a creature cost two less to cast. Two mana removal spells, anybody? <laughs> um, so he's an extremely car- strong card just by himself, right? A two mana... 2-2 two, two is, you know, bear's fine, but then you throw lifelink and menace, now it can't be blocked, and it's gaining you life, and now all your targeting yeah. spells are cheaper. Like, that is... That's a lot of stuff on a two-mana card. And it's... Also, we look at the mascot, which is, uh, we can see on Inkling Summoning, it's one silver quill, silver quill. <laughs> that's a little bit of a tongue twister. And this is, a, of course, a sorcery lesson as well, and it creates two uh, a 2-1 two, white, black, inkling with flying so the mascots for silver quill are inklings and the whole concept behind the silver quill college is that they fight with their words they're like wordsmiths and uh as such they have a lot of ink floating around oh yeah i guess we didn't mention witherbloom is i guess the the green thumbs they call them like the bio goths uh all right and uh i guess silver quill is the uh the edgy english majors exactly yeah yeah they're the they're the the kind of the the quote-unquote cool kids you know the the jocks but also uh good with words somehow so um you know there's that and um these do seem to be the some of the better mascots i mean they're the ones with flying so they're going to be the most effective just from a pure like getting damage through perspective it's a 2-1 so clearly aggressively statted it's kind of an actual card i don't i think a 3 mana 2-1 flyer is like just barely under rate like you're happy with a 3 mana 2-2 flyer in most situations. I think three mana two one flyer is just a little bit worse than that, but you know, it's not a five mana four four. So Yeah. I think I think you'll take it. Um with the ability to put counters or bonuses on on cards, especially after death with like the sort of modular type theme that we saw with some other cards. Kind of feels like a Voltron type uh college right um which isn't really where you want to be in limited because removal comes at common and it tends to to be pretty efficient these days so kind of hard to see where this is going to play out we can take a look at the silver quill apprentice here this is white black for a 2-2 human warlock at uncommon it has magecraft as the others do so whenever you cast an instant or sorcery cast or copy an instant or sorcery target creature gets plus one plus oh until end of turn Hmm. yikes now this is weird right I think the, uh, the the Voltron kind of sums it up well. Clearly, this deck wants to be able to put counters on stuff, say like the Inklings. And then this Apprentice, because it doesn't just give itself plus one plus zero, it gives target creature plus one plus zero. It gives the ability to kind of spread the wealth around. So maybe uh, your opponent 
uh, is struggling on board. So you start suiting up uh, this thing. You put a counter on the, the Silver Quill Apprentice, and then you use its ability to give itself plus one, plus zero. And then suddenly your opponent plays a 4-4, right? Now this thing is blanked, so then you switch over to an Inkling that you have laying around. You start uh, pumping that thing, putting counters on that. One of, one of your creatures dies. There's a 1-1 one, one that when it dies, it puts its counter on another creature. Uh, you trade that thing off and put the counter on the Inkling now instead. But then that thing gets killed. Uh, so then you start doing it with something else. But the problem here is that removal's good and limited, right? So I don't know. This deck seems to be asking you to put all your eggs in one basket. I think the right way to play this deck, despite what it seems to be implying, uh, is going to be rather than piling all up on one creature that, that just asks your opponent to blow you out, start spreading the wealth around uh, and, and try to keep a pretty even board state. Yeah, I think there's going to be a there's a particular card we're going to talk about in a little bit that I think is a great uh, target for a lot of these effects. Uh, as it's able to move counters around when it dies. So, you know, you can get move removal. I think what, what Silverquill might be trying to do is outpace removal. So you play more threats than they have the ability to remove. And, you know, whichever one happens to be left when the dust settles, you can start pumping that one up and uh, and take care of business with that individual creature. But next up is the Silverquill Pledge Mage. It's one Silverquill Silverquill. Uh, it's a 3-1 Vampire Cleric at Common, and it says Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, Silverquill uh, Pledge Mage gains your choice of flying or lifelink until end of turn. So that's kind of cool. Mm. It can save you, stem the bleeding a little bit if you need it to. Otherwise, you're just jamming with a 3-1 with a flyer for three. Sure. Yeah, again, this wears counters well. This wears other bonuses as well. It's versatile, which I think is kind of the key here. Eh, okay, not super exciting, but it's fine. Next up is Shadewing Laureate. It's white, Silverquill black so three total mana for a 2-2 human warlock at uncommon it has flying and it says whenever another creature you control with flying dies put a 1-1 counter on target creature you control so this is kind of where we're getting at with the inklings you suit them up put some counters on them or even just just let them do their thing and when they die you're going to get counters on all your other stuff hmm. this card first of all i think is sick flavor uh i, I love this uh this art this art's fantastic. I actually, I keep saying that about the same artist. It's Igor, and I can't see the uh, the, the last name. Uh, Kirlikuk, something? It's a little blurry on my screen, but I guess I don't have to look into them. Uh, anywho, this card is a bit strange. First of all, very restrictive mana cost. If you happen to draw your three planes and this was in your hand, you're going to be shaking your head. But it's a three mana 2-2 two, two flyer with upside, so you're going to put this in pretty much any black-white deck, right? But... Whenever another creature you control with flying dies, put a 1-1 counter on target creature you control. Won't your opponent just never let that happen? Yeah, I mean, you just kill this instead. <laughs> yeah, like, they're not going to kill your your uh, Inkling over this, right? If they have right. their removal spell. They're just going to kill this, and you're probably not going to attack with this because it triggers on other. Uh, I think this could be much better if it said uh, whenever any creature you control with flying dies. That, I think, is what, what needs this to, to make the next step, but... I don't know. Unless you're just jamming Inklings in, you could kind of put pressure on your opponent if you force them to trade with your Inklings, mm -hmm. if they have a bunch of smaller flyers. But there's some flyers with more than two toughness. Uh, so you're going to have to be trading Inklings that you've already suited up with counters or you know, just ramming your, your two ones into their 3-3 three, three flyers. I don't know. I'm not entirely sold on this. I want to see it in practice. I want to get some some use out of it, but a little lower on this one than some of the other uh, some of the other build around uncommon we've seen. Yeah, it definitely feels a little weird. Our last card here for Silver Quill is Spiteful Squad. This is two white black for a zero zero human warlock at common. It has death touch, and it also has when Spiteful Spiteful Squad enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it, and when it dies, it puts its counters on target creature you control. 
just going to go out on the record right now and say that this card is already a total total flavor fail. There are three individuals in this art, and it only gets two plus one plus one counters, and it costs four mana. Like, come on. Yeah, okay. It's a little below rate. Uh, but, I mean, this is a solid body. Nothing can really attack into it, and you get to stick with the, the value afterwards. Yeah, I'm in. All right, now we're going to talk about the, uh, the secret sixth college uh it, it's not very interesting in fact it's so boring it didn't even get its own colors uh actually it's just a bunch of colorless cards <laughs> but uh, there's, a, there's a handful of colorless lessons i guess um these are lessons that you just learn when you're outside of one of the colleges when you're just walking around in the gen ed the gen rounds yeah these are the gen ed classes the gen ed lessons that that's perfect so here in, in gen ed you, you find some role fillers these are what I would call generic, uh, well, not silver bullets, I guess, nerf darts. Generic nerf darts. Uh, it's hard to say how highly people are going to take these, given that, you know, having these versatile answers is something that every deck is going to want. You know, getting anything off of, uh, off of learn might turn out to be better than rummaging, if this is truly a late game set where every card that you're drawing matters. And, you know, sometimes having some cards like these will just be exactly what you need at the right time. First up, we've got environmental sciences. This is too generic or too uh, any color mana. You can't really say colors, I guess, but too generic mana for a sorcery. It's a lesson. It's colorless. Uh, you search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. You gain two life. I am really high on environmental sciences. I know a lot of folks thought it was bad originally. I've seen some folks turn around on that, and I've seen fo some folks say that it's pretty good. Colorless fixing can't really be bad, in my opinion. And the fact that you can take, you can get this whenever you need it, is going to be pretty big. I, I suppose it's going to depend on how many how many learn cards you have. I don't know that you're really going to want to main deck environmental sciences. But I think keeping it in your sideboard and using it off of learn is going to be pretty huge. And I'm also speculating that we're going to see a lot of actual three color decks in this format because a lot of the colleges have themes that overlap each other. So Prismari and Lorehold, for instance, share red. They all care about instants and sorceries and like copying spells and getting spells out of your graveyard and things like that. So I think there's some overlap there. Black, white, and green, black both care about plus one, plus one counters in some respects. They both care about gaining life in some respects. So we're going to see some mechanical overlaps between the colleges, and I think that's going to lead us to a lot of three-color decks as opposed to just two-color decks. So environmental sciences might be huge in that way. I can see it. Next up, we've got Introduction to Prophecy. This is three for a sorcery. It's a lesson. Scry two, then draw a card. So again, this is a an over-costed effect, similar to environmental sciences. For that one, you really have to pay one to go get a land. For this one, you really want to be paying two to scry two and draw a card. Even that's a little bit pricey. If you go further back, if you're like, if you're playing good old-fashioned like card, like blue cards, then you're doing that for one mana. But you know, this is modern limited. Uh, you got to pay three for this. Plus, the fact that it is a silver nerf dart means that you can just go get this in the sideboard in in the late game, right? Uh, I think scry two in the late game in some sets has been uh, pretty close to drawing a card and this isn't divination but it's going to be pretty close yeah also these all trigger your magecraft cards they're also going to be great targets for copy effects so you know three mana to scry four and or scry two draw a card twice is going to be pretty big uh, i think a lot of these I, i'm not super happy about introduction of prophecy like it's not a card that i'm like ooh, yay i open this but it is a common and it doesn't cost you anything to put it in your sideboard It'll cost you a pick, but you might get these on like 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th pick and just jam them in your sideboard and then you have them to gain value off of your learn cards. A lot of times getting one of these lessons is going to be better than drawing an unknown card. Especially when you're rummaging, right? Discarding that card can be a real loss, especially if you're kind of yeah. in a bind. 
Next up, we've got Introduction to Annihilation. This looks like a fun class. So five generic for a sorcery lesson. Exile target non-land permanent. Its controller draws a card. Yeah, so this is a design space they've taken some liberties with in this set. There are a number of cards, actually, I think at least one in each color. I think there's a cycle of them where you can cast a spell for very low cost for the effect that you're getting, but then your opponent also gets some huge bonus as well. And so this is kind of a look at that on the colorless side of things. It doesn't cost any less, but you get to exile any non-land, but your opponent gets a card. Yeah, I guess you could say it's because of Commander that some of those things were doing it. Maybe uh, group hugs type things. This one's not going to see Commander play. Maybe you could argue that it's just in the spirit of going to school. You want to help each other out a little bit. I guess they clearly didn't go to American schools. Um, so I think this is actually going to be a pretty great answer to have in your sideboard. Now, before everyone busts out their pitchforks and says, well, Ben, it lets your opponent draw a card. Uh, imagine if your opponent uh, plays a coma level threat and you're like, uh-oh. I need an answer to this now. There's a handful of cards in this set that can do some pretty strong things, get pretty big. Uh, there might be a creature running around with power and toughness equal to like 46 or something like that. You might need an answer. And this answers literally anything. I mean, you know what's better than losing a game? Having your opponent draw one card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's a great way to put it. This is not really, this, this is a silver bullet. This is not a card that you want to keep in your sideboard so that you can say, oh, I have access to some removal, and when they play their 3-3, three, three, I can kill it. This is the card that you see your opponent drop an unbeatable card. They play a card, and you say, I have nothing in my deck that deals with this, but I do have something in my sideboard that does. Now I'm going to cast my Learn Spell, grab my Introduction to Annihilation, and you know, you're actually back in a game that you otherwise couldn't have, couldn't have won. There's, I mean, there's Elder Dragons in this set. You can die to an Elder Dragon in this set. <laughs> this this is going to be a good thing to just have access to. I think every deck is going to really value their first copy of this. Next up, we're going to take a look down, I guess, in the... Uh, I'm going to head over to the Biblioplex, check out some old historic tomes that they've got going in there. And historic is a, a good choice of words, given that we're going to talk about some mystical archives. Now, these are available in every booster. There's going to be one in each. So, I mean, first of all, these cards aren't part of the set. These cards are from Magic's history. A lot of them are iconic cards, things people have wanted to be reprinted for a while, uh, big flashy spells or things that you've probably heard the name of before and whispers at your local game store or Discord. Uh, mostly they're rares and mythics, so, but you're uh, you're guaranteed one uh, per pack, so it's just kind of an extra card in the pack. They're, they're going to be all over the place. E each person would theoretically get to put three in their deck if they wanted to. They just you know took the one that they opened in each pack. Because of this, they're incredibly high variance. There's a huge list of these that, that could wind up in the uh, the mystical archive slot in the in the pack. Uh, and there's like we mentioned a handful of rares, handful of mythics. The exact distribution I know was being discussed in our Discord, but uh, I, I admittedly didn't pay too close attention to that. I'll just see what I open now. <laughs> and uh, among these cards, you're going to see a lot of just good individual cards. A lot of really strong removal spells. A lot of solid card draw spells. A handful of board wipes. And then just some weird ones. Some that shouldn't see any limited play. Some are going to be absolute blanks, right? Um, other ones are going to be absolute game winners. For example, a channel. This does not really work in limited. We were trying to talk about earlier what the best thing you could channel out is. Uh, for, for those that don't know, channel is uh, one green green. Or sorry, it, it's, uh, it's green green. And then uh, until end of turn, you can pay life to create colorless mana. So we were thinking about what's the biggest colorless thing you could channel out on, on early as possible. We came up with Mascot Exhibition, which is the mythic uh, lesson. It creates one of each mascot. So on turn two, you could play a 7-7 seven, seven, or a 7-drop. 
and it makes a bunch of tokens. Uh, all right, <laughs> that's that. You need a lot of things to go right. You need multiple mythics for that. So don't get your hopes up. Let's talk about some of the ones that you might actually see that are more reasonable. We've got Day of Judgment. This is two white white for a sorcery. Destroy all creatures. Yeah, it's in Wrath of God times two, I guess. It's like a second copy of, of Wrath of God. It is a mythic in the Mystical Archive, so uh, I think you have like a 1 in 15 chance of get, opening a mythic. Probably not going to see this one super, uh, super commonly, but uh, it is there and it is something to look out for. Next, we've got Harmonize. This is two green green for a sorcery. Draw three cards. It's a rare. Uh, but I, I have a feeling this is going to be a late game format. You might feel like you've got everything balanced out, and that if your opponent just rips a harmonize off the top of their deck in the late game when when you're kind of at, at parity in, in some way, it's going to be great. And finally, we've got Doomblade. Again, this one's at rare. Everyone knows Doomblade. Dies the Doomblade. Uh, black and uh, and one of anything else for an instant destroy target non-black creature. Nice. Now, actually, this is a funnily enough a little bit worse uh, in this set in particular than most sets. Because I guess on average, more decks will have black in them than a typical set, right? Yeah, probably. There, there are a lot of multicolor cards at common as well. So a lot of the, uh, any of the, the cards that are multicolored that have black in their color identity are, are going to not be targeted, not be hit by Doom Blades. So it's probably at, at near its worst that we've seen printed as far as limited goes, but it's still Doom Blade. There's some other nonsense cards in here. Defiant Strike, Village Rights, Cultivate is a stronger one. There's other cards that you can take and put in your deck, but uh, those ones are a little more narrow. We wanted to go over some that you'd be pretty happy taking early. I got to say, though, one of my personal uh, sort of achievements to, to acquire, to go after in this format is to copy a time warp and just, just oh my God. take two at two turns. <laughs> That'll be dope. Yeah, have fun with that one. Again, uh, let's see some, uh, some screenshots of that in the Discord. I'm personally looking forward to casting. Uh, I don't think it's going to be good. Actually, maybe it will be. Uh, Manatide. <laughs> I'm looking forward to manatizing some people because the likelihood of anyone having it in a given scenario is just so low. It's at rare. It's a mystical archive. But oh, people are gonna get got by this. And also, approach the second sun. Oh it's yeah, a fun card. Yeah, actually, um, if you copy approach the second sun, do you does it work? Because the copy goes on the stack first, and then the first one you cast from your hand. Doesn't that just win you the game on the spot? I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> I don't see why not. That's kind of cool. Anyway, uh, also worth mentioning, we, we mentioned the Mystical Archives, you're guaranteed one per pack. There are 18 of them that are uncommons, so you're more likely to see the uncommon ones, obviously, than the rares or mythics. There are no common Mystical Archive cards, so at best, you're getting an extra uncommon. Or, sorry, at worst, you're getting a an extra uncommon. But you're also guaranteed a lesson per pack. So, you know, there's that to keep in mind as well. Funnily enough, you could have three mythics in a pack. Yep. Cool. <laughs> uh, it's going to make for very interesting first several draft picks uh, i'm actually planning on, on writing up a little thing about this and probably making a long twitter chain about this given that uh the first several draft picks going to be very strange and, and not what we've seen before yeah signals in the first half of the first pack or, or even first half of really any pack are going to be messy but especially that first pack is going to be weird let's get into the top comments from each color now that we've kind of gone over what each of the individual colleges is trying to do we can kind of have a better idea of what the colors in general are trying to do. And we can see where some seem like they have a strong plan and where some are disjoint. Let's start with white. It looks like the commons overall are a little bit weaker. There's some powerhouse uncommons that, that are pretty impressive. Uh, it does have some nicer controlling cards than it usually does. So we got Pilgrim of the Ages. This is two and a white for a two one spirit. When it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a basic plans card, reveal it, put it in your hand and shuffle. You can pay six 
to return Pilgrim of the Ages from your graveyard to your hand. Yes, this is a recurrable way to get a card out of your graveyard, which is awesome for all the lore hold triggers. It's also just like an infinite blocker in the late game, so, you know, go nuts. It's also a white card that draws you a planes. (laughs) (laughs) What were they they thinking when they designed this one? I mean, look, we saw uh, Knight of the White Orchid back in Magic Origins did essentially (laughs) the same thing. That All was a right. two drop. This thing is Night of the Wet Orchid. You heard it here first, folks. So <laughs> uh, I think this is just going to be a pretty strong common. You're happy playing this, going, getting that planes. It helps you hit your land drops. It helps you get to the late game. And then just trade this off and get it back later. Next up, we've got Expel. This is two and a white. It's an instant exile target tapped creature. Again, kind of conducive to a, a longer, more controlling game plan. And uh, Pillar Drop Rescuer. This is four and a white for a 2-2 flying spirit cleric. When it enters the battlefield, return target creature card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to your hand. Gravedigger got a little more expensive, but it got flying. I'm in for it. Yeah, I guess. I, I really would have liked, this, liked to see this put the card on the battlefield. A five mana 2-2 uh-huh. flyer is kind of garbage. Okay, but... look, you can't make white commons that strong. <laughs> Not yet, but we're getting there. One day. I mean, maybe someday. This would be a cool, uh, a cool little synergy if you do have ways of self-mill. This would kind of guaranteed hit, right? Yeah. And uh, notably, both Pilgrim and Pillar Drop Rescuer work with the Leaves the Graveyard cause. So uh, notably, none of these seem fit for Silver Quill. Yeah. Yeah, they're all pretty long game. They're kind of overcosted for their stats, and their effects don't really seem to care too much about what Silver Quill's doing. So, yeah, I don't know what that means for Silver Quill if the top three commons really don't care about that archetype at all. But, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Also, we should mention these. I, I'm not sold. I'm not sold on the ordering of these. Uh, I just kind of read them off in that order. Uh, but we think these are all going to fall fairly close to the top. Um, uh, yeah. I'm just suspicious of Silver Quill at this point. It seems like every other deck is capable of surviving and winning in the late game, including Red White. <laughs> like yeah. what? Uh, and of course, like Blue Green and uh, and like Green Black. These decks never struggle in the late game very much. They're usually able to value themselves out of anything green decks and blue red <laughs> distinctly says let me get to the late game and i'm going to cast some bonkers spells so the fact that black white kind of wants to win early and then it kind of shrugs uh yeah. a little suspicious true we'll see how it plays out hopefully there is actually an aggressive deck i wonder if black white's going to actually be closer to like a mono black deck that splashes the occasional white card or ends up being something like Mardu where it takes like super aggressive cards from black and red and then like a couple of mid-range cards from white, something like that. Yeah. We'll see. But on to blue for commons. Blue seems to have mostly fine commons uh, with the top common here being notably better than the rest of them. Like you just play all of these that you can get and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so they, they oh, this one tends to, to help Prismari get to the late game. Format definitely seems slower with both red, white, and red, blue not really wanting to do things quickly. So uh, let's take a look at our first common here. Frost Trickster is two and a blue for a 2-2 bird wizard at common. It has flying, so a three-mana 2-2 flyer. We've seen a couple of those now. Looks pretty good. But this one says when Frost Trickster enters the battlefield, tap target creature and opponent controls. That creature doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. Frost Link's got flying. I mean... I put it in the notes. I'll say it again now. I would play a deck that was 24 Frost Tricksters and like 16 Island. I think yeah, <laughs> it'd be just, pretty good. just sounds good. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, all right, I'm in. Maybe some card draw. 
like an opt or two. But yeah, no, I, I think that'd be pretty solid. So our next one here is Barry in Books. It's four and a blue for an instant at common. It says this spell costs two less to cast if it targets an attacking creature. Put target creature into its owner's library second from the top. Next up is Burrog Befuddler. This is one and a blue for a 2-1 frog wizard at common. It has flash. And when Burrog Befuddler enters the battlefield, target creature and opponent controls gets minus one, minus oh until end of turn. So this is three sets in a row where we've had something resembling uh, the... Wow, and I can't remember any of their names. Brian ba- Brian Barrow. The, the, yeah, Brian the Barrow card. shooter. Yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this seems to be a pretty common staple. I think, uh, I mean, we took a look at combat tricks a while ago, kind of like the archetypal instant speed things. We don't have to start moving on to creatures uh, because we just started to see uh, this kind of design become really popular in, in Modern Limited. It's been pretty effective in a lot of sets, and this one costs two rather than the usual one. And this is a two one, which is a little, I don't know, not as likely to, to survive as some of the, the previous ones. But I, I think when you want this, it'll be pretty solid. This thing could come in with Flash, trade for like one of these three mana two twos we've seen floating around that, that your opponent might think they're safe to attack with. Uh, and then it could also maybe set up a profitable trade or, or kind of fog your opponent or, or just, you know, it's got some nice versatility. I'm sorry, did you say frog your opponent? <laughs> Something like that. Next up, we've got Black. Black seems to better support the themes of Witherbloom with its best commons. And again, I'm just afraid that Silver Quill decks are just going to wind up at these these non-synergistic piles rather than the the focused aggro deck that it seems to want to create. Especially because a lot of these better cards kind of get snapped up immediately. Mage Hunter's Onslaught is up first. It's two black black for a sorcery at common. Destroy target creature or planeswalker. Whenever a creature blocks this turn, its controller loses one life. This is brutal when you get it uh, cast against you at like three or four life. It just makes your block so awkward. It kind of has the Sir Conrad effect, right? Where you can put your opponent in a position that they can't do anything about it. They're just locked into losing. Yeah, I mean, it seems like pretty solid removal. Next up is a fun one. Unwilling Ingredient. Aw, <laughs> poor little guy. <laughs> Speaking of frogs, we've got... Uh, this guy, he's one black for a 1-1. One, one. It's a frog, common. It has Menace, and it has pay two and a black. Exile unwilling ingredient from your graveyard. You draw a card and lose one life. <laughs> this is fun. It's so weird. So this guy is, uh, he's going to, if you play him turn one, he's going to get in for a few points of damage. Like, it, it's a 1-1 one with Menace. Uh, but, and maybe your opponent plays a 2-1. There's a bunch of 2-2s two running around, but maybe they have a 2-1. Uh, this might get in for 2-3 to three damage in the, in the early game. And then it is perfectly happy to just get sacrificed to your first effect. Now, I guess because it has Menace, it wears counters nicely, but all right. Uh, Yeah, I I mean, this is a low-costed creature that can grow pretty well and has a relevant effect later in the game. I think Silverquill's going to want these. Yeah, yeah. But it does take work to make good for that deck, so I don't know. I feel like it's a better payoff for Witherbloom than Silverquill. I just feel like Witherbloom would take this... Uh, over some cards that Witherbloom or that, that Silverquill would. I don't know. I, I, I'm afraid that, that Silverquill is going to struggle from a lack of resources. I could be totally wrong, but um, I don't know, we've had some pretty distinct misses in, in recent sets, and I'm starting to smell some of the, the telltale signs. Uh, notably, not that this will come up too often, but this does trigger leaves the, the graveyard clauses. Lastly, we have Hunt for Specimens. So Black's comments kind of fall off pretty quickly. I think Mage Hunter's Onslaught is by far the best. Uh, and then Unwilling Ingredient is a little below. And then Hunt for Specimens. Not sure where quite this one falls, but it's one of the black for a sorcery. Create a 1-1 black and green pest creature token with when this creature dies, you gain one life. Learn. Now, hear me out. Build your own lingering souls. 
slash hordling outburst except it's better because they have text on them so uh you can learn and and go get pest summoning so then you, you pay uh one of the black for this one one and then you go and get an extra card that that makes a few more if you want to be making pests you definitely want hunt for specimens and you definitely want pest some agreed nice little one two punch there i mean when you put it that way though five mana for three one one sounds pretty terrible but you know, I mean, they do have text and they do synergize well with the rest of the deck. So I'm not saying it's awful, but. Okay, Lingering Souls is a little bit better. How about that? <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll meet in the middle there. Yeah, sure. Next up is Red. We've got Heated Debate as our top common. This is two and a red for an instant. It says this spell can't be countered. Heated Debate deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker. And so this is pretty strong removal. Like, yeah. it's uncounterable. It's. A bit of a buff to well, I guess it's, it's it's kind of tangential, right? To lightning strike, it's a three mana instant that deals four, but it doesn't hit players. Mm-hmm. And I like that it even reminds you. Um, it can't be countered in, in reminder text. It says this includes by the ward ability. So if you got a creature with ward, just snipe it. This thing can't be countered by that either. Agreed. Next up is Tome Shredder. This is two and a red for a 2-2 wolf at common. It has haste. And it says tap, exile an instant or sorcery card from your graveyard, put a 1-1 counter on Tome Shredder. So it's a nice way to generate those exit the graveyard effects. It adds counters. It's a little awkward because giving it haste tells me that it wants to attack, but then you're giving it a tap effect to make it bigger. It's like kind of weird, but it can... Haste also means that it can tap and give itself a counter the turn it's played. So, you know, pointing a removal spell at it or something isn't isn't really going to work out super well for you. Mm-hmm. Think of this more as a 3-mana three 3-3 three, three without haste, right? Yeah, so exactly. so uh, your opponent, maybe you play this on turn 5, your opponent attacks with a 2-2, two, two, you block with this and then tap it. And then you've got yourself a 3-3 three, three, and they're like, wait a minute, forgot I could do that. Uh, this also works really well with the big spells that Prismari has discarded for value. Yep. And our last red common here is Pigment Storm. This is three red red for a sorcery at common. Pigment Storm deals five damage to target creature. Excess damage is dealt to that creature's controller instead. So it's a a damage spell that has trample. (laughs) Cool. I like it. I have a feeling there's going to be enough big things roaming around in this set, whether it's putting counters on stuff or these big tokens. Prismari's making four fours all the time. I have a feeling because it's a late game set, there's going to be creatures that are worth dealing five damage to. I think this one's going to be a, a, a deck or a card that every red deck is happy playing one or two copies of. Maybe it's going to fall off like some of the ones, but I don't know. The, the five mana red removal spell is usually pretty solid. Yeah, it's also kind of an interesting look when you compare this to Mage Hunter's Onslaught, right? The the, the four mana destroy target creature Planeswalker card that also causes your opponent to lose life. I just think yeah. it's an interesting, interesting uh, sort of dichotomy there where they're essentially both just destroy target creature and deal some extra damage to your opponent. Kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Last but not least, we got green. Green has Mage Duel as our uh, our top instant. Uh, sorry, our, our top uh, common here. It's a sorcery, not even instant. What am I even talking about? It's been a long set review, dude. So it's a uh, two and a green. This spell costs two less to cast if you if you cast another instant or sorcery this uh, spell this turn. So if you cast anything else, another instant or sorcery, if you've I guess triggered Magecraft, this thing only costs one green. Target creature you control gets plus one plus two until end of turn. Then it fights target creature you don't control. Nice. Yeah, sounds solid. I mean, one mana, fight a thing, and buff your creature. Like, I'll take that any day of the week. Mm -hmm. You have to do a little bit of work to get it there, but I could see a lot of reasonable board states where, I don't know, you cast, like, a learn card and then do this. If you're paying three mana for this, you're also not too sad, right? It's still pretty solid at three. Ooh, next up is one that might be a bit of a hot take. I don't know how this one's going to turn out, but 
I'm pretty high on it. Bayou Graf. We got a good boy here. It's a one and a green for a 5-4 plant dog. Uh, and as an additional cost to, sa- uh, to uh, cast a spell, sacrifice a creature or pay three. So, sure, you could play this as a five mana, five, four with no other text. You're not super happy about that. Or you can sacrifice a creature that you've got laying around, perhaps a pest or a tiny little fractal token that you got for free off of another common. Hmm, I'm seeing some cool things to do with this one. Yeah, I mean, you could also just go um, uh, unwilling ingredient on one into plant dog on two and there you go you've got a five four on two for free oh man i am gonna be doing that uh next up we've got field trip this is two and a green for a sorcery search your library for a basic forest card put that card on the battlefield tap then shuffle learn now here's the thing this might look a little weird because the three mana ramp spells aren't typically near the best in their format but i'm thinking of this one kind of like spring to mind from people that played during amonkhet uh Spring to Mind was uh, kind of similar. It was a, a an Aftermath card. So it cost two and a green. Again, you would go get a basic and, and put it on the battlefield tapped. But then the Aftermath, uh, you could pay six to, to cast it from your graveyard, draw two cards. This kind of reminds me of that, even given that you can ramp and then go get some overcosted thing from somewhere else. And uh, it's going to be pretty good. Now, I, I also think that in a you know, uh, format where everybody wants to be getting to the late game, if you get there first, it's going to be a pretty big payoff. When everyone's trying to resolve their five, six, seven mana spells, when you resolve yours a turn or two before your opponents, it's going to be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, this seems pretty decent. Anything that's essentially two cards and one is probably going to be better than than it looks. Um, so I'm excited to see how this plays out. Uh, it, this learn mechanic is going to be weird, and I'm very curious how it's going to fall into the, the grand scheme of the format. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some colorless commons. Uh, there's not too many of them. A lot of those slots get taken up by the lessons. There's some, I don't know, there's some junkers in here. This campus guide, it's a two mana, two one golem. Uh, by the way, we're, we're off the best cards. We don't think this is a better. We're just mentioning it's colorless. Uh, two one golem for two. When it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, then shuffle and put that card on top. Womp womp. <laughs> I mean, if you really want the fixing, you can play this. No more to it. There's some other stuff. There's like a one mana zero four wall with defender. You can uh, tap or pay one, tap it to mill a card. It's called excavated wall. The fact that this exists and there's also a, a one and a white uh, for a one four. I think it's like a, a golem or like a dwarf spirit or something. The fact that these cards exist tell me that every deck is going to want to get to the late game. This is interesting. This is a, a good except be a silver quill. Set. Except, yeah, like Excavated Wall, uh, you don't want to put that in Silver Quill. But I feel like a lot of the other decks don't hate having that. Clearly that one goes best. But anywho, what are you uh, what are you most excited for in this set? Yeah, so overall, I appreciate how different this set's flavor is to previous quote-unquote like house sets like we've seen in Ravnica. The flavor here is pretty on point. Like all across the board, they, they nailed the college puns and all the different oh, yeah. references. Like there's a card called Hall Monitor that's a, literally just a lizard creature. It's like, <laughs> it's amazing. They, they did such a great job with the flavor in the set, and I'm very much looking forward to our Flavor Town episode. And I'm, I'm excited to see how that translates to gameplay, too. It, it seems like they did a very good top-down design on this set so far. I like that they did the color shift thing, and I, I've talked about this before, I think on the show, where I, I think that it's they got away with something here by somewhat shifting the color pie for all colors instead of just dropping like an individual card like feed the swarm into a set where they're like color shifting one card 
Yeah. This is kind of cool. And we get to see now red, white kind of coming into a little bit of an identity of its own. I hope this is something they carry forward, giving, giving red, white, this like cares about the grave, like things leaving the graveyard, not things being in your graveyard, um, which is kind of cool. We'll see how that plays out, but I'm just really excited to see how all of these different things, plus the mystical archives, plus the lessons just kind of jam into a single draft perspective and, and see how that all plays out. Cause there's a lot of moving parts in this set. There's a lot of text in this set and, uh, very curious to see how it all works out. How about you? You know my favorite part about it, though? With uh, with Kaldheim, we also identified that. We identified there were a lot of words on the cards, and we identified there were a lot of moving parts. But it had this extra layer of complexity that I'm not getting here. Uh, I, I'm saying that is a good thing. It had this layer of, I think Marshall put it best when he called it homework, right? You had to actually figure out which ones did the thing and which, which one in the cycle was different than the other ones. This feels like a return to the slightly more conventional uh, design where we see a cycle. In fact, there's like seven cycles in the, or something like that in this set. Uh, that's going to make uh, kind of my, my mental notes so much easier. For example, I know already off the top of my head that every apprentice and every pledge mage have uh, magecraft. Mm -hmm. that, like I just have eight cards that I already understand what they do just from like briefly skimming over the spoiler. Uh, that's going to make this set much easier to understand. Now, personally, uh, I, I agree. It's been a while since we had a color pair set like this. I do love the un uh, enemy color pairs the most. I, I usually find myself pretty happy whenever there's a, a solid enemy color pair set. Last time we had this was uh, Ravnica Allegiance, I believe. But the uh, problem there was that Boros was just way too good. And you kind of had to just force Boros and, and mentor every turn and win the game. Uh, but it looks like everything else is playable now, including black-green. So as a black-green uh, drafter at heart, uh, I'm, I'm excited to try out some of these like nonsense black-green combos that... I mean, some of this stuff is ridiculous. I'm especially excited to try out all the uh, the nonsense going on with, uh, I think it's like, the, the, there's a big rare that does the same thing as uh, Damagoth uh, Titan or Damagoth Woe Eater. That, that's it. Damagoth Woe Eater is the, uh, the uncommon. I think it's Damagoth Titan. That's the other one. There's a, I think it's, uh, there's an uncommon called Tend the Pests. It's black and a green. Uh, and you have to sack an additional creature, uh, sack a creature when you cast it. Create X11 one, one black and green pests. Where uh, and they all have the pest thing. Uh, where X is the sacrifice creature's power. So if you've got that seven six and you sack it to ten the pests, ooh baby, that's gonna be that's gonna be good value. Yeah, you're also getting all the extra value off the the Damagoth anyway because you sacked it. Exactly. And then Dina Soulseeper sitting there on the battlefield, like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna gain a little life off all these pests and drain you all out. Sacrifice them all to attack for a million. I mean, I play Marin in Commander. Like, black-green in this set seems like it was made for me. I have to say, I was, I've was i been building a, a Sultai list. I'm not going to spoil the Commander just yet, but I've been building a Sultai EDH deck, and I think it's the fav my favorite deck I've ever built. Like, it is... It is nice. I'm cu I'm coming around to the black green side of things. It doesn't have a lot of the controlling aspects of blue that I like in this particular deck, but it, it looks fun. I'm ready to get it and ready to jam it with some of the folks in the Discord. I'm sure you'll find a way to insert blue cards where they don't belong. <laughs> they belong everywhere. Yeah, yeah. That that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, that said. That's going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. A bit of a longer one, but we hope that you were able to take some notes, get some lessons learned, and be ready for your first couple of drafts in Strixhaven. 
if you're interested in communicating more with us, chatting about the set and asking questions about the, the show or asking questions for the show, we typically do a listener question of the week. We didn't this week because of the longer episode. But you can do all that in the Discord. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you're interested in supporting the show, please go ahead and check out the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. If you want to support the show but you don't have or don't want to put the money to it, uh, just share it. Get, send the show around to your friends, your family, your enemies, those you love, those you hate. Tell everybody, and uh, that helps us out quite a bit as well. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can do so at Rannick Alfredian on Twitter. You can find Ben at Betafish1 and the podcast at DraftChaffPod. And you can email us at DraftChaffPod at gmail.com. Talk to you next week. So I know everyone's excited because it's you know a new set and everything, but rather than do a little limited, I actually wanted to talk about a game of Commander that I played this past week with my uh, my typical play groups of people that I that I know. Now, uh, I decided to bring a unique deck to the table. I have talked about my elk deck at great length. Uh, my my Gigantha deck that is uh, elk tribal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard it all before. But you haven't heard this. So I was playing a certain game with that deck uh, like a month or two ago. And I had a turn where I stormed off, I, I want to say. It involved um, several like card draw triggers. So... I think I had a Vanquisher's Banner and a, uh, a Beast Whisperer. So like whenever I cast an Elk spell, I drew two cards. Uh, and then I had a Zendikar Resurgent uh, and I had some way that was like getting me lands. It might've been like a Karametra. Um, so I, I, I didn't go infinite, but I think I like drew 20 cards in a turn and I played like 10 vanilla Elk. And then I realized, wait a minute, if I just had a Tendrils of Agony in this deck, I, I could I could just like, I could have just killed one of my opponents here, right? So that got me thinking, what if I make Elk Storm? Oh, so uh, I, I, I oh, was no. messing around and I wanted to do a little bit of experimenting. I think I may have swung a little bit too far to the other end of the spectrum, though, because I started building a new deck and I, I like made a copy of the old one and, and I started putting cards in. And I was like, all right, I want I need Mind's Desire and I need Grape Shot, I need Tendrils and I need Brain Freeze. But then I also want some some ramp and I, I want some Cultivates. And then I found as I started adding more and more Storm cards, I started cutting more and more elk tribal cards and the final product ended up being storm commander and the only remaining elk was gigantha the commander. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's incredible i i took this to my my usual play group now this one we did digitally because uh, i do not own lion's eye diamond <laughs> so along with half the other cards in the deck so uh, what ended up happening was I, I showed up with my Gigantha list. My, none of my friends even blinked an eye at it because they know I like my elk. But then I, I, I started playing out a different kind of game than usual. Rather than curve out with bad elk and bad tribal cards, uh, I just didn't do anything until turn six. I, ju I, didn't, I, I just played a bunch of like dual lands, things they're used to seeing, and some generic ramp and cultivate and uh, like mind stone, that kind of thing. And then on turn six, I played a thousand year storm. And... The table kind of looked at me like, what did you say you were changing about your elk list again? And I was like, don't worry about it. It's fine. My opponents, they weren't playing very fast decks. So uh, I ended up untapping a thousand year storm. I drew like 20 cards that turn. I got my storm count up to like 30 and then I whiffed on a wheel. Wow. And I just passed. <laughs> and they all looked at me like I had lost my mind, which I had. Uh, so correctly, they blew up my thousand year storm. And it got back to my turn. But thankfully, I had wheeled back into uh, Mystical Tutor. So sure. I upkeep Mystical Tutored, and I got to go off again 
that time using uh, Yogmoth's will and and a bunch of rituals and, and some other stuff. And I ended up finishing the game by targeting one opponent with uh, Brain Freeze to mill them out, another opponent with Tendrils uh, to ping them for... Uh, 10 additional, so the tendrils was for 10 additional than the life total. Then I pointed that 10 and a grape shot at my last opponent for exactly. And That's it was dope. fantastic. <laughs> my, my, my opponents uh, were very kind and gracious and sat there for like a 10 minute turn. Two of them were off it. One of them was super into it, helping me keep track of my storm <laughs> count. Uh, shout out to Kevin. <laughs> but um, that was, uh, it was a good time and uh, I will say they never saw it coming. I think in my future builds, I'm going to have to swing a little bit back towards the elk side of things, but I'm glad I got to experience the extreme. <laughs> <laughs>